We've been talking about this awesome phrase that John the Baptist used to describe Jesus. He called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John 1 and 29. And last week, I took you backwards 3,400 years before this statement was made when we start to see a prophetic picture of who Jesus was going to be. You remember Father Abraham takes his son Isaac up on the Mount Moriah and he's willing to sacrifice him, but it was only a test of his obedience. God says, no, I don't want you to do that. But that turns out to be an image of what our father would do to his son to take away our sins. Turns out to be on the same mountain range. There was so much beautiful imagery there. If you missed that last week, all our messages are stored on YouTube. I hope you'll find that. That was one of my favorite messages of the year. And we learned that when sin is full grown, it always produces death. Sin starts by cutting corners and making you feel good, all right? The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But here's what we've all known. Listen, if you've been old, if you've been alive more than five minutes, you have found out that sin eventually catches up with you and cuts your legs out from under you. And, 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 and the Bible says in the book of James that the farther along it goes, it progresses toward death. Now that is why Jesus had to die. That's why he had to become the lamb of God. That's why so, so much Old Testament imagery of, of, of animals dying you know, for our sin. Those all point to the reality that Jesus would be the only blood worthy to pay for the sins of the whole world. And so today we're going to partake in Holy Communion together. And uh, I actually want to back up. uh, When Jesus took the Last Supper, everybody say the Last Supper. A lot of religious phrases today, so you're going to have to pay really close attention. All right. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't be on your phone right now. You got to pay attention. All right. You're going to get lost. Okay. So, so lock in here. All right. When Jesus did what we call the last supper, that was his last meal before he was crucified. He knew it. They didn't know. They were kind of starting to zero in on what he was talking about. He was actually taking Passover meal, which is something the Jews did every year, still do to this day. And we're going to walk through that reality. So much of the Old Testament is foreshadowing things that would happen in the New Testament, and most of it is prophetic in nature, and Jesus fulfilled it all. That's why when you're reading the Old Testament, a lot of people, believers and unbelievers, freak out over the Old Testament. It seems so weird. It doesn't make any sense because it is not like religion for dummies. Old Testament's not religion for dummies. If you pick it up, like I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, if you just Google something about the Old Testament, you're going to find some knucklehead, ignorant person who is an unbeliever writing crazy stuff that kind of makes sense if you don't really understand the Bible. That's why you need to go to church. You need to be in a small group. You need to have a faith family. You need to come every week. You need to understand this book because it's an, it's an awesome book. And the entirety of it shows a picture of who we are. I want to, I want to zero in on the history of the story of the Exodus. You know, Exodus, where we get our word exit means to leave. It's when God's people who were slaves in Egypt exited Egypt, right? They go through the, uh, the, the wilderness desert, and they finally make it to the promised land. All right. If you've never read the Bible, maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt. Okay. Uh, Disney movie, Prince of Egypt. They didn't get too terribly bad in that movie. Okay. So you kind of get the idea. This is the real story of what that's trying to show. And that imagery is really our story. Okay. The story of the, of, of, of the children of Israel leaving. So you have Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. So Egypt is a type or a image of sin. That's where we all start. 
We all start out in sin. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You are a natural born sinner. Mama didn't have to show you how. Daddy didn't have to show you how. Now, some of you were blessed to grow up in a family where mom and dad did like, uh, you know, uh, senior level leading into sin, like, right? So you really learn how to do it and you're trying to get away from that lifestyle. Okay. But this is where we all start. And just like they came out of that, you know, when Moses said, let my people go, they came out of that sin and bondage of Egypt. That's an image of us coming out that we don't have to stay controlled by our sin and we don't have to stay bound. And the longer we stay in sin, the tighter the shackles become and the harder it is to come out. Then they go out of Egypt and they go into the desert wilderness and and they don't know how to be free. They wander around for 40 years. They struggle. And that's an image of us. When we come out of sin, we, 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 we thought and we hoped because maybe you met Jesus when, when an incredible friend shared their faith with you. You prayed together. You had warm fuzzies all over you. <laughs> maybe it happened for you on Easter. And man, the house is full. Everybody smiled. And there's a spirit in the room. When you prayed, they, the band came in and it was like, oh, like you, you thought that's what it was going to be. God parted your Red Sea. You came across and you found out I went right into a flipping desert. <laughs> And you know what they did in the desert? They wanted to go back. They literally said, we've been slaves for all these years. I don't even know how to be free. I'll go back. How many of you could say the same thing has been true in your life? Like you came out of your sin and weirdly something kind of drew you back towards it. Seven people in this room have ever gone back into sin. Any amens in Madison right now? Because I know, I mean... I've been back, you know, I've been out, I've been back, I've been out back. And that's, that's, that's why this story exists. That's why that's there. They wanted to go back. We kind of want to go back. Then they finally get to a place called Canaan. Everybody say Canaan. That's the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful place. It's what you want. It's, it's a place of God's blessing. They cross over the Jordan River. That's a type and shadow or an image of us crossing into perfect relationship with God, completely free in Christ, in perfect harmony, and eventually living with him forever in eternity. So this one ancient story really tells our whole story. And the last thing that happens in Egypt is a thing called Passover. Now today, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. You should have received communion elements in about 20 minutes. I'll call on you to look at that, all right? But when Jesus shared the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he was actually sharing the four cups of the Passover. I want to explain that to you. Let's go back to where that was. So last week, we talked about Abraham taking his son Isaac up on the mountain. Isaac, when he's full grown, he has... 12 sons. One of those sons is Joseph. Joseph ends up going into Egypt. Uh, there's a 12-week series to explain Joseph's story. Just I'll skip that for now. It's a great story. But, but Joseph is there, and he gets the favor of the Pharaoh. Egypt's like the world's only superpower, right? They're powerful, and, and Joseph becomes the number one leader. And, and because of that, he moves his whole family, 70 family members move to Egypt. They, are, they settle in the land of Goshen and they are blessed and loved by the Egyptian people. Now, fast forward 400 years. Those 70 people have become 2 million people. All right. When the Bible said be fruitful and multiply, they took it seriously. Start having babies, all right? So now there's 2 million people. And the Pharaoh who loved Joseph and Joseph, they're dead and gone. And this new Pharaoh rises up and he sees these 2 million people as a threat and he decides to enslave them. I mean, he treats them like subhuman individuals. And, and the lifestyle that they have is absolutely terrible. And so God raises up a deliverer named Moses. 
And Moses speaks the voice of God to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh responds by making it harder on his slaves. I mean, he just treats them worse and worse and worse. And so God speaks to Moses and through him says to the Pharaoh, listen, if you don't cut this out, it's going to get really bad for you. God keeps giving him more and more opportunities. He continues to rebel against God. God unleashes 10 plagues each time, giving him a chance to repent. And finally, the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn throughout all of Egypt. And in fact, God says here on your last night, he says to the people of God, this is your last night in captivity. Tomorrow, you're going free. And the last thing you're going to do is you're going to celebrate a Passover meal together. And they took a lamb, symbolic of Jesus, you know, some thousands of years later. Take take a lamb and they slay this lamb and they spread the blood over the doorpost of their home to make a statement that this home is covered in the blood of God. Actually, it's a prophetic statement to say our home is covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now. The Lawson house is today covered in the blood of Jesus. I don't want one of my children to go to school without the blood of the lamb going with him. I don't want them to lay their head to bed without knowing the blood of Jesus covers our home. I don't send them off on a car when they're old enough to drive without touching that car and trusting the blood of Jesus to go with them. Let me tell you, everything about our faith is in the blood of Jesus. I'm not just reading a Bible and thinking to myself, well, these are great principles. These principles are better than the principles of Confucius, or they're better than the teachings of Judaism or of Islam. No, it's not just about that. It is about the shed blood of the only Savior of the world who rose from the dead and lives today. There is no faith like faith in Jesus. And so this is where kind of that imagery continues And so the death angel passes throughout all of Egypt and everyone who's in rebellion against God is plagued by the death of the firstborn and everyone who's in harmony with God and in obedience with God is protected. Again, a a picture of all of us sons and daughters of God when we're in obedience to God, his blessing is over us. Now, when we pick up the story of Jesus and his disciples sharing what we call the Last Supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about that story, but they zero in. They don't tell us the whole Passover meal. They zero in on a small picture of it. And today I want to tell you a little bit more about that story. They they zero in on two things, about the the bread, which is a part of the Passover meal, the Seder meal, and the, the wine. And actually the bread, Jesus says, is my body broken for you. He was telling them, I'm about to go to the cross willingly, but they're going to break my body for you. And then he actually took that third cup. And that was when he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Actually, this whole thing is under four I will statements that Jesus makes. Uh, I'm going to skip this just for a minute. Let me show you these I will statements. Therefore, say to your children, I am the, to the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Those four statements represent the four cups that Jesus took that night with his disciples, four cups of wine, and, and, and we're going to walk you through the four of those, okay? The first cup is the cup of sanctification. This is the idea of Jesus 
pulling us aside. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. Let me tell you, this is where it starts in your relationship with God. You are living in Egypt. You're living in a sin culture. It's destructive. Think about the Egypt, uh, think about the Israelites living in Egypt. They're living under the burden of slavery and oppressive regime. They're living among false gods and idolatry. You can't imagine worse conditions, both physically and spiritually. And they're a generation of people who never knew freedom. They didn't know what to do with freedom. When God gave them freedom, they wandered aimlessly for 40 years, not knowing what to do. And they many times said, we want to go back into that place. And you see, this story is our story. God has looked at you and said, listen, there's a whole mass of people who are all going in one direction, but I have sanctified you. That's a big word to say. You've been chosen and called out. Everybody say called out. That's what sanctification means. It says, listen, I know you're going to be called weird. I know you're going to be called names. I know people are going to say there's something wrong with you. The truth of the matter is I've chosen you. And the Bible says, narrow is the gate that leads to heaven, but broad is the path that leads to destruction. And so there's a massive broad path into Egypt, into slavery, sexual slavery, slavery to addiction and chemicals, slavery to the love of money and and, and power and prestige. There's this massive massive flow of people in that direction. To be sanctified is to be called out of that. That's where it begins. It's where God looks down on you and says, hey, you're better than that. You're better than living for fleshly based desires. You're better than just mindlessly going with the flow. You're strong enough woman of God. You're a strong enough man of God to stand up and be who God wants you to be. Can I just pause and ask you, isn't that what this nation needs right now? Somebody who will stand up and say, I'm going to be what God called me to be. And I don't care what the world says. This is our story. And it begins right there. Jesus would have shared that meal with them. And then they went into the desert. And let me tell you, here's what we learn. Freedom isn't free. Jesus paid for it with his blood. And it isn't easy to maintain. They wanted to go back. They go right out into a desert where there's no, there's no sign markers to tell them where to go. They don't have a map or GPS to figure it out. And they just wander. You ever wandered since you met Jesus? Ever just like, what am I supposed to do now? I thought this was going to be bright lights and, 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 daisies, and ro- daisies and roses, you know. And, and, it, and it wasn't. It's actually hard work. You know, there's an, actually a, a, a historical military feat that's held up as one of the great uh, ancient Near Eastern conquests. Is when the Romans uh, attacked out in the desert many, many years after this story. Some Jews were in rebellion and they took a place called the Masada. Known as Desert Fortress. It's real high up above the desert terrain, out in the middle of the desert, no streams, rivers, water, no, not a blade of grass, nothing to eat or drink out in the middle of that place. They had giant cisterns that they could live for years in the water and, and, and survive with their own little gardens. And so they had taken that in defiance of the Romans. The Romans took 8,000 soldiers out into the middle of the desert. And they laid seeds to this desert fortress. And they actually built a land bridge 100 meters high. It took them, uh, historians say, between four and seven months. And they're amazed that 8,000 men, soldiers, could live in the middle of the desert. They had to bring water in for miles. They had to bring rations in for miles. For four months, 8,000 men could live. And it's an amazing historic feat. But listen to me. Moses brought two million men, women, and children not to mention all the animals, and they lived for 40 years. 
<clears throat> the Bible actually says that God caused food to rain out of the skies. And he caused water to come up out of rocks in the middle of the desert, just to spring up out of dry ground. And literally, he says that for 40 years, the shoes on their feet did not wear out. And the children whose feet were growing, how many got children with growing feet? Their shoes grew with their feet. Some of y'all need to work on your prayer life. God help you right now. I mean, what, what this story tells me is that when God brings you out, he doesn't leave you alone. He will finish the job if you trust him. Do you hear me? Some of you are in that place right now. You're like, I don't want to be what I was. I, I, I recognize that my sinful life was just shackling me. I want to come out and you don't know what am I going to do next. Let me tell you, freedom isn't free and it isn't easy. And there's, there's, there's a difficulty, but the Bible says that Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus said, I will go with you all the way to the end of the age. You need to know right now, man, if you're just at the beginning and you've come out of your Egypt, it's not over. He's still with you. Can somebody say amen? The second cup is what's known as the cup of deliverance. The second I will statement was, I will rescue you from their bondage. And, and that's why it's often called the cup of praise. If you've been a slave at your nation for 400 years, how many know you've got something to praise God for? They had an identity that said, this is who you are. You're slaves. You, you grew up as a slave. All you know is that you're less than the Egyptians. They, they were seen as subhuman and, 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 and they accepted that identity. That's who they are. That's who they were. But they had been set free by the hand of God. He says, I'm going to rescue you. And here's what we have to believe. We have been rescued by the blood of Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, symbolizing the body and the blood of Christ. And when we take in Holy Communion, we take in his blood, we are taking in the reality that if the Son of God sets you free, you are truly free. You need to hear that. Those are the words of Christ. If the Son of God sets you free, you are truly free. You need to believe that because sometimes you may not feel free. You may not feel like this amazing Christian person who's headed toward the promised land. You might feel like you're going in circles and you're heading nowhere. You need to prophesy and promise yourself you are free just because Jesus made you free. Just because you trust in him. You don't know the Bible front, front to back. You don't have it all figured out yet, but you know who you are in Christ. Some of you need to be like that testimony I heard of an old lady, old black lady stood up in her church where they had testimonial. Did anybody ever go to church where you stand up and start talking randomly? Everybody can talk in testimony. We stopped doing that for fear of what some of y'all might say. Okay, but they used to do that in the church I grew up in. And, and I heard the story of this old black lady who stood up and th they knew her history. She had a history in that town and everybody knew it. She said, pastor, I just want to stand up and say, I know I'm not what I could be. And I know y'all know I'm not what I should be, but I just want to stand up and thank God I ain't what I used to be. I wish somebody would praise him if you're not what you used to be. You're not perfect, but you know he's working on you. Here's what he said. I'm going to go with you to the end. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to stop reaching out to you. And actually, this Old Testament that we read that's got so many weird, hard-to-understand stories. All right, I'll admit that. Like A lot of it in, in a small snapshot can be a little icky. Like, what does that actually mean? If you know the stories, those stories all point to the redemption of, of your soul and mine. 
God points that every person matters and that he will go all the way to the end to find you. Even the ancient story, 800 years before Jesus shared the Passover Seder meal. 800 years before that, in in what we call the Old Testament, there was a prophet God raised up named Hosea. Hosea's got a small little book. You can read it, uh, you know, in one sitting. And, And God tells this prophet, I want to make a message to my people. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. I, I want to tell you now, if, I, if I'm, I'm, I'm praying in my private time and I'm a single minister and God tells me that, I'm going for a second opinion. <laughs> I, I missed it. Was that the you know anchovies on that pizza I had last night? That couldn't have been God, right? He says, no, that's what you're going to do. You're going to marry a prostitute. And why? And God says to Hosea, the reason you're going to marry this prostitute is because my people are acting like prostitutes. They're loving someone who doesn't love them back. And I want them to know I'm still married to them, that I love them. And so the prophet Hosea goes and finds this woman that God pointed out to him. Her name was Gomer. I'm just going to stop right here and say, listen, it's one thing to marry a prostitute. What do you think a woman named Gomer looks like? (laughs) Whoo, the fun never ends in the Old Testament. He says, go find this woman. Her name is Gomer. And he marries a prostitute named Gomer. And and the whole community is like, what has happened? And Gomer straightens up, man. She seems like, wow, this is a great story of God's redemption. You know what she does, though? She goes back into prostitution for no reason. She leaves the the, the health and, and security of that home and goes back into prostitution. And so what does God tell the man of God to do? To say, well, I tried my best. You see, you got what you deserve. No. He said he sent the man of God into the bowels of that destructive lifestyle. He sought her out and he paid for her. He bought her out of sexual slavery. What God was telling us way back then is the same thing he's telling us now. Uh, This statement here, I want you to get this from Jeremiah 31 and 3. He says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. God has always said the same thing to us. Wherever we are and however we got there, you matter to me. I love you. And and I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to fail to love you. I'm going to go after you. I want some of you to receive that right now because you've been imperfect. And you wonder, you know, am I just a fraud? Am I just a fake? Am I a hypocrite? You know, that I've tried to live for God. No, God, 800 years before Jesus, and Jesus was 2,000 years before today, God's saying the same thing. I'm going to go all the way for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes because you matter to me. And that, in fact, is the third cup of the Passover meal. It is the cup of redemption where God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Literally, on the night that Jesus shared the Last Supper, he was partaking of this Passover meal, also called the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, This is the cup he was holding when he said, this is my blood. He was holding this third cup. It's poured out and it's shed for you. And and he would have reflected back on the words of God when he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And what he was saying to the world was, I'm about to stretch out my arms on this cross and I'm going to redeem you. And the word redemption, it's a word we don't use a whole lot in our culture anymore. But it's most often used now in terms of finances. If, if you lose a piece of property due to taxes, 
you have like a period of time to pay those taxes and pay a fee and get it back. And that's called redemption. Why can you redeem that property? Because it was originally yours. And it went into some kind of disrepair and something went wrong. But you still have the right to it because it's still yours. And this is what Jesus was saying when he took that third cup of the Passover. And he says, this is my body poured out for you. Because I'm going to use my blood to redeem you. You may not look like you are his son or daughter right now, but you still are. You're still made in his image and you were originally designed to be his. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? From the beginning and no amount of sin and no amount of mistakes that you've made and certainly no public perception of you. I don't care who they are. Some angry preacher pointing his finger in your face, notwithstanding, no opinion of man changes the reality that you were formed and created to be his and he has the right and the payment to redeem you. Bible says you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus as the spotless lamb of God. Somebody praise him for redeeming your soul. You've been paid for. You've been fully paid for. And that is why we come to the fourth cup, which is the cup of acceptance. Finally, the Lord said in chapter uh, 6, verse 7, I will take you as my people and I'll be your God. Check this out. He's yours and you're his. You don't get any better than that. You belong to him and he belongs to you. You have been fully accepted. I love what Ephesians, the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians. He said, we're no longer strangers or aliens. A stranger, an alien doesn't belong, right? He says, we're no longer aliens, but we belong in the house of God and we are saints. I need you to receive that for a minute. You're not a stranger to God. You belong in his house and you're a saint. Help me tell somebody they're a saint right now. Look at somebody, tell them. Come on, look at somebody, tell them you're a saint. That, that's almost laughable. Every one of y'all are smiling. Like, if you knew this joker, I just told. (laughs) The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can make you a saint. 